welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. My name is Mr. Craigers. I'm going to be one of your hosts this evening. I am Miss Melmoy. I am the other host. Yes, and we <laughs> are coming to you, of course, from that good old quarantine life. Yeah. We're about, let's say, like two weeks in, right? Yeah, this is but- day... Technically, this is day 17 for me. No, 16. Yeah, I gotta be around that. You were the Monday after me, and I was the Friday before you, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was, I had to work that Saturday, and then I was in isolation. Isolation. Yeah, because our last episode, Friday the 13th, was like right before. Yes. Everything sort of like really kicked into gear. Yeah. Um, but we hope you chatterers are doing okay out there. Um, you know, it's tough, but hopefully um, things like our podcasts can distract you from the nonsense. So our distraction today is going to be, um, as we mentioned at the end of last episode, a discussion of Karin Kusama's 2009 Diablo Cody penned film, Jennifer's Body, (laughs) (laughs) which has been enjoying a bit of a renaissance in the last like year, year and a half. And so we're going to, um, we're going to talk about that renaissance and about the film. Um, through but, the trees. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but before we go through the trees, <laughs> um, we'll do some horror headlines. Yes. Um, obviously, uh, movie theaters aren't functioning right now, and a lot of stuff has been put on hold or been pushed back. But there's a lot of... Um, Stuff still coming to VOD, including big theatrical releases that you can now watch in your home, like um, Invisible Man. And the Hunt. Yeah. Um, Shudder is doing um, watch parties every Friday, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of other podcasts are doing watch parties as well, including us here at Splatter Chatter. We've started a series we're calling Splatter Sundays. We began with Scream 2 as a Netflix party. And um, we're continuing this week with Scream 3, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, Miss Mel and I were just discussing before we started recording, like, being very selective about what we're watching <laughs> the quarantine. Um, but have you been watching any horror, or have you been avoiding the genre entirely? Uh, not avoiding entirely. Um, I finished Sabrina, season three, mm-hmm. or whatever the fuck they're calling it, part three, I don't know. Um, finished that. It was... Wild. <laughs> they definitely leaned into the campiness of Riverdale, and it was also a lot more violent and a little bit, not gory, but bloodier than the other ones. Interesting. So that was interesting. Um, I started watching Mother... Is it Fort Salem Motherland or Motherland Fort Salem? I don't know, but it's... Who knows? Because for some reason it has two titles, and it yeah. doesn't... Titles. It's on, um, I think it's showing on Freeform and then immediately being put on Hulu. Um, it's weird. <laughs> it's yeah. like fun, but it's weird. Um, it's definitely a, a Freeform show. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a Freeform show. Okay. Yeah. Like you watch it and you're like, okay, yes, this is a Freeform show. Um, still fun though and kind of weird and creepy. Like there's some creepy stuff. Basically, um, the idea is that like witches from Salem became like, 
the main form of army to protect the United States and stuff. And they're fighting like they're sort of clearly it's meant to be like an ISIS like uh, surrogate, like a different group of witches who are like, oh, uh, OK, <clears throat> who do crazy shit. And like their signature thing is that they cast these spells that make people like kill themselves basically in mass numbers like they'll go into cruise ships and then like people will just start jumping off the cruise ship and shit like that um so the witches like when they reach a certain age go to witch military school go to witch military school naturally um which is as dramatic as it sounds Uh uh-huh um it's it's interesting and then uh, i just got a book in the mail uh in the house in the dark of the woods uh, which came out Sounds familiar. Yeah, it came out in October 2018. Okay. By uh, Lard Hunt, and it's basically a uh, colonial New England horror um, paranormal yeah. fantasy type book. Okay, into it. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm gonna start that soon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what I've sort of been doing. I'm hoping that A24 puts um, the Green Knight on. Oh, that would be cool. VOD, but it's coming out in May, so they might, we might be allowed to go to the movies by then. Yeah, they might wait a bit longer. So, we'll see. That's what I've been up to. Cool. Um, what if I, I've not watched, I've not watched a ton of horror-related things. Um, I watched a Pretty decent werewolf movie called Howl, though, that I... Of course it was called Howl. Of course it's called Howl. Um, it's the... These people get stuck on a train, this British train, um, and, uh, like, in the middle of the woods, and it turns out there are werewolves um, in the woods. Um, classic. Classic. You, you know, you're, you're all familiar. Yeah. Uh, so that was good. Um... I was watching a movie. I think it was like right before. So I don't know if I remember mentioned this last time, and I apologize if so. Called Always Shine. You did not, I don't think. Oh, okay. Well, it that was also a pretty decent movie. Um, it's like a psychological horror with Mackenzie um, Davis and Caitlin Fitzgerald of these two actress friends from LA. Who, like take a weekend up in Big Sur to like renew their strained friendship and like one's more successful than the other one is and like huh. the tension comes to a head between them and there's like some queer undertones going on in there and um, things get violent and there's like maybe hallucinations like is what's really going on what's going on it was I recommend it's called Always Shine um, all right I think that's all that I've been doing horror-wise. I do plan once I clear, because I just I bought $96 worth of books. <laughs> Although, to be fair, I already finished reading one of them since getting the delivery on Saturday. <laughs> um, but uh, mm-hmm. I do plan to finally read It, because I have your copy of It that I've been waiting to... You do have my copy. Ooh, now's the perfect time. Mm-hmm. To just get lost in yeah. dairy. Yeah. So I think I'm going to do that at some point. That's cool. That'd be a good choice. Yeah. 
Yeah, I haven't. Um, oh, I did read a Stephen King book. You read the read, you read Elevation Institute. Elevation. Yeah, which is not. It's more. It's I mean, like it's supernatural and it's sci-fi, but there's nothing really scary that happens in it. It was short and it was quick and it was fine. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. Reading is another thing where I'm like I need to be careful about what I want to read right now as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just not feeling up to anything yes. like super serious, you know? Well, I just finished Little Women and I finally got to the part where oh. Beth dies and I was like, oh, uh, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, here it comes. Right. It's like, that's such a comfort read. Except that part. Except the last like 50 pages. <laughs> and then it's like, ah, shit. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and then I just wanted to touch really quickly on the big news that hit in the last couple of days, which was the passing of Stuart Gordon, um, not COVID related, hmm. but just sad, a very um, famous, prominent horror director, relatively young. He was only 72. Hmm. Um, and so we miss and mourn him. And, um, if you haven't seen any of his work, um, check it out. He's particularly famous for reanimator and from beyond, which are both excellent movies. So, um, you young chatterers out there, give him a watch. He was a pretty important force in the horror community. Sweet. Yeah. So, Jennifer's body. Indeed. Oh, yeah. Funny. So I guess it's something to get into after we, we go through it. But um, it is one of those things where it was like, it. Uh, everyone made fun of it for so long. And then it, everyone, like, in the past two years took a second look and were like, wait. Yep. And everyone was like, hold on. Yeah. Maybe not so much. Which evidently, according to um, Diablo... Cody, like that was the what people are seeing of it now was the original point, and the film was just marketed incorrectly. And like, uh, marketing was terrible in the attempts to sort of like push the Megan Fox aspect, they kind of lost like what it was supposed to be about. And now we're finally getting to the point, unfortunately, how we got there, but we're finally getting to the point of, of what it is about. Yeah, yeah, it's like that thing where you're like you want to be like well better late than never but you do yeah you kind of wish things had been different um which i i mean i remember seeing this in theaters when it came out and not liking it at all Mm -hmm. and um on this sort of like rediscovery journey that we've been on i've like very much been like oh like wow like, I see why I didn't like it, because it was just that thing of just sort of everyone just putting on blinders for that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. like living in a different world 10 years ago, um, and just completely not understanding what this movie is about. So yeah. it's been it's been fun to, to go back to it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, because I watched it, only really, truly watched it, like, in full for the first time, like, a year, year and a half ago. So I went in, like, with that um, 
sort of okay at this point we're looking at this movie differently now like the person the, the friend i was watching it with was like no you need to see jennifer's body <laughs> like it's not about what you think it's about um so i didn't have that experience of like uh seeing it and then being like oh this sucks waiting 10 years and then being like oh you know what it was making a point like i just i knew the like hubbubaloo around it and then finally watched it and i was like oh yeah like <laughs> I see it, but this is my post-college, post-gender studies mind seeing it. Yeah, everyone has such a different lens now. Yeah, everybody needed the hullabaloo, I think. Um, But yeah, so Jennifer's Body is a 2009 um, supernatural horror comedy film that was written by Diablo Cody, who... um, she wrote it at like at the same time or right after she wrote Juno. Um, I think it was right after Juno. Because yeah. I think Adam Brody was doing that before this. Right, like Juno like definitely happened before this. I yeah. just couldn't remember if she wrote them. Gotcha. The order in which she wrote them. Um yeah, Juno was like her big breakout for that. Um she would go on to write Young Adult and Paradise, which she also directed. Ricky and the Flash, and Tully. Tully is a really... That's the only one I've seen. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've seen Young Adult, but I don't remember it that well. But I definitely recommend Tully. It was a weird movie. Um, and it was directed by uh, Corinne Kusama, who prior to this had directed Girl, Flight, Girl Fight sorry, and Aeon Flux. Aeon and- Flux. Yeah, that is not a good movie, but it is visually interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she would go on to direct The Invitation, which is an amazing movie. Um, highly recommend. Uh, a segment in the horror anthology XX and uh, Destroyer with um, Nicole Kidman and um, Tatiana Maslany and like a bunch of other people. I think it's rather telling that this movie was written and directed by women but then produced by men and i think that's where the the disconnect happened oh yeah we have a lot to talk about yeah (laughs) (laughs) very much so um and so this film stars megan fox uh amanda seyfried johnny simmons adam brody uh, with supporting roles by uh, J.K. Simmons, Amy Sedaris, uh, Kyle Gallner, and Cynthia Stevenson. I always fucking forget that uh, what's his nuts is in this for a second. Kyle Gallner? No. Um, oh, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Yes. Yeah. He's Roman. He's literally there for one scene. Yeah, he has one scene. He makes like three disparaging remarks and then he dies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and he makes a cameo in this movie, as well as Lance Henriksen makes a cameo at the end. Yes. The driver. Um, he doesn't really need to be there, but it's fine. The somewhat creepy driver, who you think yeah. probably is going to get knifed by the end of that drive. Right? It's like, is he supposed to be predatory? Is he just supposed to be weird? Was Lance Henriksen just there? Um yeah, so it um, this film was made with a $16 million budget. It made $16.2 million domestically, so it just barely recovered. And then it made about $32 million globally. So it was not a financial success, nor was it a critical success. So it was pretty lackluster overall at the time that it was released. Um, 
a common critique that it was, you know, it was supposed to be a horror comedy, but that it was neither funny or scary enough um, to achieve either end. Uh, if people did like the dialogue, they criticized Kusama's directing and Fox's acting. However, as we've talked about, about a year and a half ago, um, sort of in the wake of the Me Too movement, the film has very much emerged as a cult classic and something that um, lots of people are revisiting and finding lots of um, value in. Mm. I would... Yeah. Um, One thing I love is not only was it ahead of its time in terms of like what women already knew and was waiting for like the world to catch up on, but also I feel it's a film that's very, very aware of how we were all going to look back at the mid 2000s. <laughs> like just the the aggressive use of like the emo music and like the scene kids and like the mentions of MySpace and stuff. Like, I feel like it was almost like a movie that's supposed to be like that we would make now that's stereotyping. Yeah. What was going on back then? Yeah. It's very self-aware. Yeah. You're right. Um, (laughs) so, so yeah. So an interesting movie, an interesting creative force and cast behind it. At this point, Amanda Seyfried, you know, she had done Mean Girls. Mama Mia had come out the year before, and she was currently in Big Love. So I feel like this was, like, just when she was sort of, like, breaking out name, you mm. know, rather than opposed to, like, Karen from Mean Girls. Yeah. Um, and of course the big draw was Megan Fox, who, um, she had gotten a lot of attention for being in the first two Transformer movies and very much had this perception of being, um, a vapid sex symbol type Hollywood figure. Um, like I remember her being viewed very negatively at the time by like most everybody. And I think there was kind of a smear campaign going on at the time because she got into a tiff with Michael Bay and he just kind of like just completely like they've since clearly like made up because she's been in his movies now since then. But um, I remember she criticized him basically for treating her like a, a sex symbol um, in, in Transformers and then he kind of lashed out at her and then he's obviously Michael Bay so he's got a lot of you know friends in Hollywood and I think there was just kind of a general smear campaign against Megan Fox around this time yeah people did just did not like her I think she was not viewed as a good actress she was not viewed as being very intelligent um and I think much like this movie that opinion of her has changed over time Mm -hmm. that the perception of her has improved um like Miss Mel said, like she had, had nothing to do in the Transformers movies. She was very misused. Yeah. And I think this movie, as we can now look back at it, shows that um, she's not a bad actress. Yeah. Like, I just think she just doesn't get enough to work with. Like, there was a couple moments yeah. in Transformers 2 where she was allowed to actually like emote something other than, you know, screaming, running, or, you know, flirtatiousness and she like did good in those those moments um yeah like she and even here when she's they have her tied up to the tree and stuff and Mm -hmm. 
Like, you know, she's, she can, you know, she can act. She can emote. She can emote. Uh, yeah, she can. She can. I think, yeah, it's just a matter of like, you also have to be given a role that allows you to showcase your range. Um, which I don't know that she's ever really been given, but I would say that this role is as Jennifer is the closest. Um, and it's interesting because I think in this movie, she was like playing the perception of herself at the time. Yeah. Um, which adds a very interesting layer to things. Yeah. So as Ms. Mo said, this movie was um, a very different beast in its production versus its marketing. You know, it was written, directed and starred women, but it was marketed and promoted entirely by men. And it was very much, uh, promoted as being for teenage boys as this like titillating lesbian sex fantasy. Um, which as we know, having seen the movie, it's not that at all. Yeah. Um, and it's so funny. Like I remember at the time being intrigued by the promotion of the lesbian kiss. Cause it was all over the trailers. Yeah. And like, I was not the target audience as a gay, yeah. <laughs> uh, whatever, 18, 19 year old. Um, but I was still, there was still something about her where I think it was just like, like, Ooh, like two big actresses are going to kiss like in a mainstream movie. Like I, I, I do want to see that. That's interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Not the interesting that they intended, but yeah. Yes, there was a huge play on sort of the idea of, like, the male gaze, um, female and female, like, bisexuality angle, which really isn't a huge part of the movie. It's a, it's really only sort of, like, uh, happens in a single... I mean, like, you know, you've got the... Throughout the movie, there's, like, subtext there and people make comments, but there's only really one scene where it comes to any sort of fruition and it's like 30 seconds. Yeah. And that, and that scene, like that's not a titillating scene. Yeah. Like it's not, um, it's like fucked up. It's like, you're like, it's a thing's something's wrong. Yeah. Here. Like it's not very sexy. It's very awkward. It's very real. Mm -hmm. Um, like, yeah, so I think this this movie like has a lot of sexuality that it's dealing with, but not like a lot of sex, mm -hmm. um, which you don't get at all from any of the promotional material. There's not even nudity in this movie. Yeah, no, you think for a second because there's like side boob, but yeah. uh, there's not. They're not even, and it's rated R too, I believe. It is rated R, and it's I guess R. only rated R for gore and language. Yeah, that's a really good point. Which is also funny to me because it's not that gory. It's I mean, not. There's, there's, there's some gore, but it's not like... It's, it's not, not like terrible. Gore. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. So, yeah, so there's this question of, like, what is this movie really? Is it a revenge fantasy? Is it a sex fantasy? Um, is it neither? Like, I kind of lean that direction. I think it's a movie about friendship and this specific friendship mm -hmm. and um and relationships and romance um but yeah so let's dive right in let's talk about jennifer's body, Jennifer's um, body. 
how what's what's going on at the beginning of this movie? How do we enter the world? Man of Seyfried's being a creep. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we start with a scene that we will return to of uh, Jennifer hanging out in her tube socks with her Fallout Boy poster behind her. Um, just hanging out at night and she feels kind of weird. Um, you know, like it's a little bit eerie. We see a nice sort of smash cut in the window of a made of safe read, but when she looks, <gasps> she's gone. Um, and you know, she goes about her stuff. It's weird. Whatever. We'll return to this. In the present time, uh, Amanda Seyfried, well, Anita, quote-unquote, needy, uh, less Nikki, <clears throat> is um, in a penitentiary, a women's penitentiary, um, and she's very antisocial, she's prone to lashing out, she's prone to violence, um, she doesn't really eat a ton, um, and she gets, after an altercation in the lunchroom with, like, some doctor or social worker or something who tells her she needs to be, like, eating better, um, <clears throat> she ends up in solitary confinement, where she kind of does the whole, like, record scratch, I wonder how you think I got here, type. <laughs> or, I bet you're wondering how I got here. Oh, true. <clears throat> um, and she begins to... Like, the, that's the frame story from here on out. She's narrating for us, basically, how she ended up in this penitentiary. And uh, we flash back to <clears throat> many, many months ago, um, where... Uh, many moons ago. Many moons ago. Needy and her best friend, um, Jennifer, are in high school at in Devil's Kettle, Minnesota? Minnesota. Yeah. Some sort of desolate state. Um, it is named Devil's Kettle because there's like a weird waterfall in the town where the waterfall, the waterfall empties into a sort of like um, cyclone type. Like it's it drains out and they don't know where it drains out. Like they've put like scientists have done the whole like ping pong ball thing and they can't find where the water lets out. And that is Devil's Kettle. Like the waterfall is called Devil's Kettle, and then the rest of the town is just named after it. Right. So they live out in this sort of desolate Minnesotian town um jennifer's like a cheerleader she is played by megan fox so obviously she's like you know the hot girl in high school um amanda seyfried's kind of her like she's a little bit quieter she's a little bit dorky but they've been best friends since um they were like in preschool together sandbox love is forever or something <laughs> i love her. i love that needy is like she's like the she's like hollywood dorky right like essentially yeah. like like they make Amanda Seyfried wear glasses. And, and that's... She's supposed to be, like, this unattractive nerd or whatever. Yeah, it's like um, in Princess Diaries where it was like, oh, like, make her hair a little weird and she's wearing glasses and we'll try to disguise the fact that it's Anne Hathaway. Mm -hmm. um, so. But yeah, so that's, like, basically... And Needy has a boyfriend named Chip, a human man Chip. named Chip. Um, Chip, yeah. Who doesn't super love Jennifer, like, the classic, like, female best friend, boyfriend, kind of don't like each other, but... Um, basically, <clears throat> one night, um, Jennifer, like, is like, yo, I want to go to this, this, like, music club a little bit outside town at this, like, it's basically a dive bar, um, to go see this band, um, that she's been following, like, she's been really into their MySpace. I felt like that was very real because I had a friend in high school who was like that. 
and followed bands on yeah my- she followed oh. band on myspace she like kind of like started talking to them on the internet and became friends with them and like would follow them to different that shows totally a thing yeah so that was that's very real um so jennifer is like yeah like she thinks the, the lead singer is really cute and she wants to go out and see them and try and like basically hook up so like hang out with the band or whatever and needy who can't really say no to jennifer is like yeah sure like i'll ditch my boyfriend for a night um to go do that with you so they head out to this (sighs) i will let you tell let tell us what um happens there i just like to the part where she talks about they have like a 9-11 shot that's like a red white and blue oh my god (laughs) i forgot about that that is very that is very mid-2000s um but yes so needy and jennifer head out to this bar and what happens yeah so they get to the i don't even think does it have a name the bar i can't remember it has a name because people talk about it catching on fire but i don't remember what it is i can't remember what it's called yeah so they go out to this like you know this classic thing right like i think they call it a club at one point and like in the narration needy's like it's not a club yeah (laughs) <laughs> it's all we have it's literally like a dive bar yeah and this is total small town dive bar you know like they let in kids that are underage and just give them like an x to you know say that they can't get alcohol you know which works so well <laughs> which works so well and um we get like a little bit of a survey of some other people who are there um including the local cop in training who is played by chris pratt and who has like a hookup thing going on with Jennifer. Apparently he took her anal virginity and it really <laughs> hurt. And she had to sit on a bag of frozen peas the next day, which is a really funny like exchange. Um, we also learned about Ahmed, the foreign exchange student who is also here at the bar. Craig so, is there. The jock Craig. Yeah, Craig is there. Um, who we maybe get a sense has a crush on Jennifer as well. And yeah, so it's like this sort of like survey of what life in a Devil's Kettle is like. And then um, the band is there. Low Shoulder is there, and Jennifer is like, I'm going to meet them. I'm going to talk to them. And Needy's like, Why can't we just like hang out and like play pinball? And Jennifer's like we have tits. We can like control these boys. And so she goes over and she introduces herself to the lead singer, Nikolai. And they have a bit of a flirty exchange and Jennifer offers to buy him a drink. And, uh, while she goes to the bar to get these very special nine 11 shots, <laughs> uh, um, needy, uh, just, who isn't that interested in the band um, goes over to like mess with the pinball machine. And she hears Nikolai and the drummer uh, wondering if Jennifer is a virgin and talking about, well, that's why they came all the way out here to find virgins. And so need kind of like makes a stand and she's like, that's my friend. Or, and she, she sticks up for Jennifer in a way where she's like, of course she's a virgin. Because I think, like, the drummer is doubting that she is. Yeah. And Nina's like, of course she is, or whatever. And, like, but she would never, um, like, give that up to a creep like you. And so they're kind of like, okay. And then the concert begins. Um, Which, for the record, this is a real band. 
Yeah, this is a real band. They're not really called Low Shoulder. No, and Adam Brody is not in the band. <laughs> Adam Brody is not in the band. But this is a real band that wrote this song uh, under this this fake band name. Um, the band is called Wildling. Wildling, okay. okay. I feel like I saw that when I was doing research. Wildling, what a world. Yeah, they've gone under many names at the time that they did this. They were under a different name, but that's the uh-huh. name right now. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so the concert begins, and um, Jennifer is completely enraptured by Nikolai, and there's this really interesting moment that we can talk about more in depth later, where um, she holds Needy's hand, Needy is gazing at her, um, and Jennifer is sort of fixated on the concert, and then she lets go of Needy's hand, and then um, a fire breaks out. I don't know <laughs> out of nowhere it's very unclear where and how the fire begins but it does happen and it spreads very very quickly and the whole dive bar is is up in flames um forcing uh many people to flee but many people also don't make it out and we get um very quick but also like very graphic shots of people on fire yeah Um, and like tumbling out but uh, Needy has enough uh, presence and wherewithal to get her and Jennifer out of the bar. They escape through the um, really grimy bathroom window. And the band also makes it out. Low Shoulder makes it out um, in time as well. And there's this moment where the, the, the bar is still completely on fire and people are dying. And Nikolai is like, Hey, we should go somewhere safe. Do you want to come in my van? And we'll what? <laughs> yeah, he's he's like, um, I feel like I'm in survival mode and I need to get someone familiar. And I feel like that's my van. And I feel like, like what he van. says. <laughs> that's the line, yeah. And it's like it's like literally like sixty seconds after they get out of this burning building. Like and he's it got is a still, drink in his hand. Like he and he has a drink in his hand. Like this, it is still actively on fire. People are still dying. There are probably still people inside the bar. Um, but Jennifer, who is, uh, seemingly in shock is like, great. I'm into it. Yeah. And Needy's like, do not get into that van. Yeah. You kind of get the idea that Jennifer was kind of put under sort of, uh, like a thrall or something by the music. Like she yeah. started being catatonic during, I think while they were playing. Right. Cause even before the fire breaks out, like Jennifer seems very, um, yeah, almost like in a trance, which is sort of like why needy has to like shepherd the escape, uh, from the bar. And so of course needy is like, do not get in that van. Like, absolutely not. Um, and Jennifer tells needy to stop being so, I can't remember what she says, but you know, she brushes her off and she gets in the van and Needy does not because, like, there's this unspoken thing that Needy was not invited. And um, and so they drive away. And cut to Needy returning home uh, shortly thereafter. She's home alone. Her mom is working a night shift, I think. She, yeah, I think she's, like, a nurse or something. Um and she calls her boyfriend Chip to tell him about what happened with the fire, and she's very upset. Uh, and then there's a knock at the door, and she goes downstairs to answer it, and no one is there. Um, but 
Needy still feels that um, something is off inside the house. And why does she feel that way, Miss Mel? Well, um, because she comes back <laughs> inside the house um, after she's like, oh, like, I guess, like, it's like that classic, like, oh, I guess I must have a bad... That thing that they make fun of in Family Guy when Lois is like, I guess I stacked all the chairs up on the... Forgot about it. Yeah, it's basically that, where she's just like, oh, I guess I'm going crazy or whatever. Um, and she, you know, is like, okay, whatever. Turns, though, to find Jennifer suddenly in the house, like, still very, like, catatonic, but covered in blood, and she's dirty, um, and she, you know, she's like, oh my god, like, what happened? Are you okay? And Jennifer just kind of stares at her and has this very creepy smile that comes on her face. Um, and then she sort of half attacks her. Like, she, she pushes her into the wall and, like, almost gives her, like, a neck kiss or something. I don't know. Um, and then walks away and goes to find food. Because, yes. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and she goes and she, like, ransacks the kitchen. And there's this funny line from um, Needy about how, like, oh, that's a Boston Market chicken. I'm not supposed I, to. <laughs> I, like, almost pissed myself at that. That line is so funny. <laughs> it's just so well delivered by Amanda Seyfried where she's just, like, mumbling in the background. Like, oh, I'm not supposed to eat the Boston Market chicken. It's from Boston Market. Um... <laughs> Like, that's gourmet. Um, so Jennifer's, like, eating a bunch of shit and quickly is, like, having an, a reaction to, to the food and, like, throws up this, like, the classic, like, black sludge type crap that possessed people throw up in horror movies. And she lets out a scream. <clears throat> and then basically she just, like, takes off. Um, yeah, she's like, deuces. <laughs> and she, she's gone. And Amanda Seyfried is like, what the fuck? Um, and is left to clean up this kind of weird, it like has like, it's like moving, it like vibrates a little bit, um, but she's left to clean up this like giant spot of gross tar shit. Um, and she's freaking out. Um, the next morning, everyone at school is like, oh my God, did you hear about how the club burned down? Like wild. And like, there's crazy rumors about how because the only people from the school who were there and survived were Jennifer and um uh Needy so they were like oh my god did you hear like Jennifer and Needy had to like get out with a machete I don't even know where they got a machete um <laughs> and they're like funny yeah so like everyone else that we had met who everyone else knew at the school like died like Craig died the um exchange student like they're all they're all dead um, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Um, so Jennifer comes in now looking like sprightly as shit. Like she, her wounds are gone. She's clean. She's peppy. She's ready to, you know, take on the day. And Amanda Seyfried or Needy's like, what the fuck? Um, do you not recall like vomiting up in my apartment or my mom's house last night and she's like I don't know what you're talking about and she like shows her her fingers that have like she still has stains from cleaning up she was like no it happened like look I, it's on my hands and Jennifer like brushes her off and JK Simmons <laughs> comes in as this really weird science teacher slash principal slash I don't know he is so funny to me in this movie because like I like that they give him five sweaters to make him look chubby. Right? And I, and I love that he has a hook hand and there yeah. is no explanation for yes. why. Yes. 
Because I didn't notice it at first until his, like, second scene. I was like, did he always have... Or did that just happen in the movies, not acknowledging that now he has a hook hand halfway through the movie? That's so funny. Um, But anyway, he plays, like, a goofy... Like, he's their teacher, but also, like... I guess he's just a really... Because he's the one doing announcements later. I don't know. He's But he's their teacher. Right. (laughs) He's, like, the only person that works at the school. Um... Yeah, so basically the story is that there was this crazy tragic fire, a bunch of people died, but Low Shoulder, like, helped get people out, and they were kind of, like, super heroic, and so everyone's like, oh, like, thank, you know, like, thanking them, and they're, like, blasting their song through the trees, um, which is a long song. If you go to look for it on the internet, it's five minutes long. You only hear, like, 30 seconds of it in the movie. Yeah, it's, they, like did the whole thing i remember like there's a i think there's a music video and everything like, yeah. on it's kind of like the the friends song where they like originally wrote like 30 seconds of it they're like oh here you go and they're like no we want a whole song um like oh <laughs> so yeah so like that's going on um and needy's like what the fuck is happening everyone's lost their fucking minds um meanwhile um jennifer goes to see I forget this guy's name, but he's basically Jonas. Jonas. He's another football player who was friends with Craig, who died, uh, who was the football player who kind of has a crush on Jennifer, who was also at the club. And she goes to see him and she's like, oh, like, you know, like, uh, Craig, you know, I was the last one to talk to him before he died. Um, you know, he always used to say that you and I would make a good couple or whatever. And she basically lures Jonas into the woods for a um, rendezvous. <laughs> This a tryst. A tryst. In the midst of their trysting, several woodland creatures <laughs> appear and like circle around them and just sort of stare. Which again, that's never explained. It's never explained and it doesn't happen ever know. again. Nope. Like it happens that during this one killing. Um <laughs> and you know, Jonas is obviously like, what the fuck? There's like raccoons and deers and bunnies just in a circle staring at them. And Jennifer's like, oh, they're waiting. He's like, what? At which point she attacks him. Um, and, you know, we hear his screams and J.K. Simmons' character, Mr. something, Mr. Warbleski, oh. um, hears Jonas screaming and he's like, oh, let it out, kid. Like, let it out. Yeah. <laughs> Like, he thinks the kids are, like, screaming out their, like, Yeah. Um, eventually, the screaming goes on for so long that he's like, all right, I should go check on him. Uh, and when he does, he finds Jonas's disemboweled corpse being chewed on by a deer. Um, and Jennifer has, has fled. Yeah. Yeah, she has. Uh-huh. Um, she's so, got to swim naked in the lake. <laughs> oh, yeah, she does. I was going to say, so tell us what happens next. That is what happens next. Yeah, that, that's what happens next. Um... She, as you do, I guess, after you disembowel <laughs> your classmate, Jennifer goes swimming naked in the lake. Which um, is this lake, like, so close to the school? Like, uh, right? I don't know. Does I guess it feeds into the waterfall. Maybe not. <laughs> but we don't know. Yeah, and so and 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 so that's going on, and um, and so now on top of the fire, the town has to deal with this very brutal saying of another member of their small community and that causes a lot of grief and pain and um uh jennifer is uh still being increasingly weird and um 
Needy's still trying to like wrap her head around what's going on. And we get this narration from her as we sort of slowly move forward in time about a month of how the town processes and how there's this very slow um, attempt to return to normalcy. And as this is happening simultaneously, low shoulder um, is becoming increasingly popular. Um, they're, you know, they've got this um, sort of false narrative narrative that we know is false about their heroic antics during the night of the fire. Um, their, their song about that event has become, or the song that they were singing at the, at the bar has become the unofficial anthem of the town. And so this all culminates in this fantastic announcement, um, that JK Simmons makes <laughs> that, uh, low shoulder is going to play at, um, prom, or um or whatever the hell they call it. They're like fake not prom prom. Yeah, they're not prom. Yeah, I don't think they call it prom. It's like a formal. Yeah, they're formal. Or they're upcoming formal. And everyone's like, oh my God. And then um there's kind of this moment where Needy is like, what the fuck? Like or she doesn't say that, but she's like, I was there, like they did not go in and rescue anybody from the fire. And there's this weird girl who who she's also in the, like the opening scene at the uh, pep rally, but who she's like, Oh my God, of course they're heroes needy. It's on the Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Yeah. Cause he was like, I was there. They didn't do shit. And then shit. And so, um, yeah. And so Needy's trying to process all of this as well. But it's also at this point that Jennifer, who, despite being very like preppy and, um, like brushing off the events of the fire about a month ago. Now she's looking not so preppy. She's looking a little wan, a little worn, wouldn't you say? Mm -hmm. And um, a bit, uh, a bit low energy. But it's also at this point that um, uh, resident school goth Colin Gray, Gray, Colin Gray, <laughs> resident school goth. Resident, the resident school guy, Kyle Gray, who is played by um, Kyle Gallner, who a lot of people will know from Veronica Mars, and he's in Haunting of Connecticut and all that. He um, is a friend of Needy's, and he asks Jennifer out on uh, a date. And um, Jennifer is reluctant at first, but when Needy remarks about how Colin is actually a nice guy... Jennifer almost like sort of like takes it as a this weird like version of a challenge. Mm -hmm. And she's like, okay. And so she sort of turns around and accepts Colin's offer for a date. And she says, um, like, come over and hang out at my house. I'll text you the address. And so that night, Colin is heading over and he gets the address from Jennifer. And he finds himself in this like um completely abandoned neighborhood. Yes. The, a bunch of houses that look like they've been um, condemned, but there's one house with a light on in the attic, and it turns out that's the address he's been given. And he goes inside, and he goes up to the attic, and there's Jennifer, and she's got candles that she's laid out, and it's very clear that the, not only is this not Jennifer's house, this is nobody's house. Like, <laughs> nothing is going on here right now. Um, but Colin is kind of okay with it because the hottest girl in school is interested in him. 
and um, takes his pants off. Yes. Which, like, <laughs> fall dramatically because he has so many fucking, like, yeah, so chains. Yeah. <laughs> All the chains. Um, yeah. yeah. And then they briefly start fooling around. But then, uh, much like Jonas in the woods a month earlier, Jennifer um thieves and she attacks colin and she kills him and there's this really cool shot of us seeing um their shadows up against the wall from the candlelight of her like devouring him which is a really cool sequence hmm. um yeah and as this is going on we get this juxtaposed sequence this juxtaposed scene going on of needy and chip having sex um, at her house while her mom's at work and it's funny and awkward and it's not at all sexy again really a sexy movie even though sex is involved like very much like a, a teen having sex for the first time very much so it's very realistic which apparently this is not meant to be the first time they have sex but that's how everybody interprets it mm. that was interesting yeah um but anyway as they're having sex Needy has this very strange sensation where she is picking up on what is happening to Colin. And she's having these visions. She sees a dead Jonas and a very like demonic looking Jennifer. And she starts sort of like moaning and crying out in fear. And Chip thinks that he's moaning. She's moaning in pleasure. Which yeah. is really funny. Um, yeah, and, and then it, he's like, am I too big for you? Am I too big for you? Yeah, and he's like, are you okay? Do you want me to stop? Um, but yeah, so Needy, she senses that something very bad has happened. And so she's sort of like, oh no, I guess they're at Chip's house. They're not at Needy's house. Because she leaves. Yeah. She's like, oh, I have to go. Yeah, because she, I think she goes back to her house thinking like... That's right. Yes, because as she's driving back, she almost runs over a very bloody Jennifer returning from having murdered Colin. Yes. And she's like, what the hell? So Needy goes home and then um, she's like, you know, she's tired and upset and she's really not sure what's been going on. And then she crawls into bed and Jennifer is in her bed. <laughs> not bloody or fucked up or not anything. Fun. Yep, she's cleaned up. Again, now she, she looks vibrant. She looks beautiful. And Needy is kind of like, get out! <laughs> and Jennifer's like, but I always sleep in your bed when we have slumber parties. <laughs> he's like, what the hell is going on? And then this leads to the very um, oft promoted kiss between Jennifer and Needy. And there's, there's like, it's very light kissing and they kind of like fall on the bed together. Um, and, and again, it, it's not, filmed like exploitively as a man probably would have filmed it it's mm -hmm. not i don't know i don't find it all that sensual no i, I think the closest it gets to that is like the, it does the close-up on like their lips but even that is like not played like even that is just very like chaste kissing still at that point like there's not even like really shots of like aggressive tongue happening yeah, yeah there's something very like sad about it almost. yeah um but anyway, uh, Needy kind of pulls away and she's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and sort of forces Jennifer to tell her what is going on with you. 
And so Jennifer does. And what is going on with Jennifer, Miss Mel? So this is the tea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's like, I need you to tell me what's happening with you. So Jennifer recounts, basically, um, after they close the van door um, and they drive away, Jennifer starts to sort of become aware more. She comes out of, like, the shock she's in and... She starts to ask, like, where they're going, like, <clears throat> what's going on, and they're, like, just, you know, like, Adam Brody's character, Nikolai's, like, just, she don't need to talk, it's fine, whatever, and then she continues to ask questions, and they get, like, aggressively meaner, he's like, oh, like, I hate, like, you know, I hate toting around women, yada yada, and she asks them, she's like, are you rapists, um, and it seems one or two of them isn't totally in on this plan like it's clear I think that Nikolai is kind of the ringleader of like what they're doing but you know as they're driving she sees these books in like (laughs) very like Hollywood of like witchcraft occultism like just books stamped with giant that that, that skull is there yeah Yeah. so she starts to kind of get freaked out um and when the van finally pulls up to where it's going she tries to make a break for it um into the woods and they obviously grab her because they're five men um and they drag her into the woods to um the devil's kettle um waterfall and you know they the drummer and a couple other guys are like are you sure we should be doing this like i don't even think she's a virgin and nikolai's like no look it's a waning or waxing whatever moon like we need to do it now and basically they tie her to like a rock or a tree or something and Nikolai pulls out a spell that they printed off the internet, um, where he reads that they are going to um, sacrifice. That's the lamest invocation. Yes, it, it's basically it's literally just like we are here tonight in insert city here to sacrifice insert name here. Um, and basically, what he he tells Jennifer is that they're sacrificing her in exchange for like making it as a band. Because he's lamenting how difficult it is to make it as an indie band. Um, and if you can't, like, make it the traditional way, you just need Satan to help you. <laughs> and Jennifer's obviously, like, tweaked out. Um, and she's crying, and she's, like, begging for her life, yada yada. And Nikolai is just like, oh, nope. And he just pulls out a Bowie knife and just stabs her many, many times. Um, and then when he's done, he throws the knife into the kettle the aforementioned devil's kettle where it goes down the little hole where all the water goes and we don't know where uh jennifer doesn't know what happened after that she doesn't know like if they took her anywhere or because they mentioned at one point wanting to like dismember her that was part of the ritual we don't know if that happened or that attempted to happen all she knows is that she woke up later really fucking hungry (laughs) evidently um and uh on her way home like, she meant, her, her first instinct was to immediately go find Needy, which she did, which we saw. Obviously, the food food was not what she was hungry for, so she, like, just kind of, like, zombied on and ran into um, the foreign exchange student who had managed, evidently, to escape the fire. Um, and she asked him, like, oh, like, does anyone know that you escaped? And he said, no, like, no one knows that he's alive. So she's like, okay, so she eats him. And he becomes her first victim, and that's why she looked... Great, the next morning. Um, so, I made a safe... Or Needy hears all this. And... <laughs> it's kind of like, what, what the fuck? Um, and realizes, okay, they 
killed Jennifer, but somehow she's back because Jennifer stabs herself at one point and shows her like she can cut herself and it just heals right back up. And basically the logistics of this are when she feeds, she's really good for a while. She's like basically um, like invulnerable. And then once she starts to get hungry again, she weakens, she gets kind of like tired and haggard um, and like weak and what have you. So she has to continue eating boys. Um, not super into that is um, <laughs> Needy, who tells her basically just to like get the fuck out, like yeah. <laughs> leave, um, which uh, Jennifer does. So um, the next day or a couple days later or what have you, um, some time has passed. Um, Needy doesn't really, Needy and Jennifer don't really cross paths. They don't talk because it's weird. Um, and Needy decides to do some research on this in the the library's occult section, which they do make a note of, like, why does the school library have an occult section? I, was say, I wrote that down, too. I love that. It was like, our library has an occult section? And she's like, yeah, it's not very big. Um, <laughs> but from the occult section, she gets the information she needs, basically. And she pulls um, Chip aside, who Chip's really pissed because, you know, like, Nadie's been blowing him off and been, like, you know, up all about Jennifer and stuff, and he's kind of sick hearing about it, but she's like, no, like, she theorizes what had happened was is that because they didn't sacrifice a virgin um because they thought she was a virgin and jennifer claimed to be a virgin because she thought that was going to like in some way help her um you know but she wasn't um she was not even a backdoor virgin according to needy <laughs> um basically it messed the ritual up but it still allowed the band to get sort of whatever it is they wanted out of this which in this case was like fame and success which they're getting because we also hear that you know they're playing at the the formal they released the song through the trees as like a tribute single or something where they're donating like three percent of the proceeds um but anyway so she's like they got what they wanted but it didn't kill jennifer or it did but she came back as a like succubus she's like possessed by a demon and now she has to, like, feed on men to, like, sustain herself. And Chip thinks this is bonkers um, and is, like, just kind of done with it. <clears throat> um, but still, like, he won't, like, Needy wants to break up for, at least for a little bit. She's like, you're not safe. If you're around me, she might come for you. And Chip's not super into that, but he also isn't gonna, doesn't believe her and doesn't want to deal with this stuff. So they kind of pseudo break up uh, and decide that they're going to go. She doesn't want him to go to the spring formal. Um, no. but he's going to anyway and they're just going to go separate because Needy believes that uh, Jennifer will just have a free-for-all at the spring formal. So they go to their respective areas to start getting ready um, for this formal which is treated like a prom for some reason even though they are in high school and have a real prom. I know that's when like why wasn't it why didn't she just write it as prom? I don't know. <laughs> um, and uh, on the way Chip, you know, Chip tells us, Chip doesn't really tell his mom that he and Needy kind of broke up. So he's going there um, by himself. She's going there by herself. And um, on the way to the prom, he to the formal, whatever, the dance, um, he is sort of um, sidetracked because he runs into Jennifer. And uh, what happens? So... Yeah, Chip runs into Jennifer on his way through the park. She's got this, like, white gown. She's come, it's coming off this very, like, bridal, like, pure kind of look for Jennifer, um, which is 
interesting costume choice. Um, and Jennifer's like, I need to talk to you about Needy. And she lies to Chip, telling him that Needy has been fooling around with, or had been fooling around with Colin Gray um, for quite some time. And they were like doing all kinds of like, it's implied like kinky sex stuff that like straight lace chip doesn't even know exists. Um, when I was watching it this time, I was wondering, I was like, I can't remember if like people knew that Colin was dead at this point. They or, did. Cause there was a funeral. They, oh yeah. They find dead. That's right. They find the funeral. Yeah. Right. And so Jennifer is like telling this to chip and um, like, trying to kind of like devastate him. And she's like, but like, but I'm here and I am interested or whatever. Meanwhile, Needy is at the dance and um, she's looking around. She can't find Jennifer. And then sort of that other sensation comes back over her um, where she senses that Chip is in danger. Um, once, I think it's like once Jennifer starts to kiss him in the park. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of like pseudo making out. Um, and uh, Jennifer's like, say I'm better than needy, um, which is interesting. <laughs> she brings Chip up to, I guess it was like the town community pool. Is now like. Um, it's the pool from It Follows. It is the pool from It Follows. Uh, yeah, it's this abandoned pool um that's like completely overgrown with vegetation and all that stuff like I don't know why the pool is there it looks cool but like what what it, I don't know um <laughs> takes them up there and uh eventually sort of like makes her move and she starts attempting to drown chip needy is on her way she's following her spidey senses she's running through the park trying to get to the pool in time when she arrives there she sees that jennifer has bitten chip but he's still alive so needy like dives into the pool and like pushes off jennifer and like tries to drown her and there's um a confrontation that goes on between them with some excellent barbs and some really uh funny lines um including my favorite line from the entire film which is she's just hovering it's not that impressive (laughs) Um, yes amazing and yeah and we get a little bit of a little bit of of a fight sequence because again like jennifer is super powered and needy is not and um eventually it culminates with chip impaling jennifer with some piece of discarded pool equipment. I, I don't know. Um, but Jennifer recovers from that because of her supernatural abilities, but she still leaves anyway. Um, which I think we, I guess it's because she's kind of injured, but I, I think there are other reasons why she leaves anyway. Um, so she flees and, uh, Chip then unfortunately dies in Needy's arms um, mm-hmm. from his injuries. And she is, of course, very devastated. Um, and she cries out for him. And then she makes her way to Jennifer's house. And we sort of circle back to that one moment from the beginning where uh, Jennifer's chilling in bed. 
and we see Needy creeping on her in the window. And then she jumps through Jennifer's window. Yes. <laughs> like Rambo style. And she's brought a utility knife with her, a box cutter. <laughs> Do you know what this is for? Cutting boxes. Yes. <laughs> and they get into a tussle. There's some levitation going on. And then um, Needy rips off the BFF necklace that Jennifer is wearing. And there's this interesting moment that, again, we can talk about right after that happens where Jennifer sort of lets her guard down and then Needy stabs her through the heart, which uh, kills Jennifer. And it's also at this moment that Jennifer's mom walks in the room. Um, we've not seen or met Jennifer's mom until this point. <laughs> Parents are very absent in this movie. Yes. Um, but this basically happens because this confirms to us why Needy is in the asylum. She has discovered, you know, knife in hand over dead Jennifer. And so, of course, we, uh, we go back into our frame story. Jennifer, or Needy, is in solitary confinement from drop-kicking a nurse. <laughs> Uh, and she has also now, because she has now inherited some abilities that Jennifer had, or some of Jennifer's demonic abilities, because she is bitten during the tussle. So she's got this super strength now, and she can levitate too. And so she breaks out of solitary confinement, and uh, she heads out into the world. She's picked up by Lance Henriksen. Yeah. Um, while she's hitchhiking, he asks her where she's going. Uh, she mentions she's going to Madison because um, she's following a band and um, that it's going to. Wow, what, what like quippy thing does she say? Like, he it's gonna, says, uh, it must be so, some band if you're following them. And she says, oh, tonight's their last show. Oh, that's right. It's tonight's their last show. And as um, they pull away, we pan over to a, a traffic sign that says low shoulder. Yes. And um, the end credits are a montage of the uh, successful final concert of Low Shoulder and all of their, like, bougie partying in their hotel room with their drugs and candy and alcohol and groupies. And then um, shots of them being uh, brutally murdered. Um, And, of course, we know that Needy has found them and killed them all. Yes. And on her way, before she gets picked up in the car, she finds the original knife because she finds oh, where the right. water, the water has, comes out because she sees she the ping pong it. balls in the knife. She finds where the kettle comes out. That's right. And so that is how the film ends. So, yeah. Let's, uh, let's pick this thing apart, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> so, um... The reading nowadays tends to be, you know, the focus on it is a group of men, particularly men in the entertainment industry who are sacrificing, you know, the physical body of a woman um, for the sake of their career, Mm -hmm. Um, which is like, you know, many of the many layers and many readings, um, you know, and then like her revenge is basically, you know attacking men going after men now like she's imbued with this power or cursed with this power to just devour men and like that's what she feeds off of um so it's definitely a metaphor (laughs) yeah yeah for sure for sure 
Um, and it's like, it's also, I think like, that's a reading that like we put onto it given what we now know mm-hmm. has been, you know, uh, going on. Um, but I also think like this movie is about like what it means for like young women to be friends in high school, like that very specific kind of female friendship mm-hmm. and relationships that, um, you can feel so passionate about and like that get imbued with this, these romantic undertones, even if they're not like sexual undertones Mm -hmm. and like quickly they can become toxic and like how complicated um, it is for girls to like exist in high school and to exist with each other. Like, well, and there's that opening line to, or opening ish line where they say, hell is a teenage girl, um, which is basically like, and this, you know, was said by um, Diablo Cody was basically she was making reference to like the sort of physical trauma that girls go through during puberty that, yeah. um, you know, is very unique to the female body. Um, and like, you know, you could take it then as a reading of that. It's like, you know, like, OK, this is what sort of the the physical trauma of going through female puberty and then society's lens on it and kind of the shame that society because there's that comment about pmsing at one point um like that's not real yeah yeah like um needy says oh maybe i'm just pmsing when she thinks she's like overreacting and jennifer's like pmsing is not real it's just something society made up to like make us think that we're crazy or whatever um so i think there's like a reading there of like yeah that whole thing Definitely. So yeah, like a lot of satirization of a lot of different things about our society and about like teen movies. Um, I like that it like subverts and plays with a lot of different conventions, like particularly like how the, the boy characters are written. Um, like Chip is sort of like written as that, what would have been like the traditional girlfriend role mm-hmm. in most like teen movies. Like he's very supportive. He's likable. Uh, he needs to be rescued in the end. Like he becomes the damsel in distress like that. Um, reversal of conventions is an interesting thing that the movie does. I think um, how sex positive it is too. Yeah. Yeah, because Needy, who's, like, a dork, isn't even, like, traditionally she would be the virgin final girl character. And, like you said, like, not only, you know, do we see her having sex in the movie, but it's evidently not the first time that they've had sex. Yeah. Which, um... Yeah, that's cool to see. I, um... All right, so I feel like the big question, right, is are they attracted to each other like romantically and sexually? Um, I think it's one of those things where it's hard to say definitively because it is like that mess of, you know, a teenage female best friendship. And, you know, I can't obviously speak to, you know, boy, boy best friendships. Cause I have never experienced that, but like, that is a thing where it's like, you know, like there's that age old joke that, um, sort of 
having a quote-unquote like girl crush or whatever is basically the feeling of I don't know if I want to be you or I want to be on you and I think there's some truth to that like I don't know whether I envy you and I want to be you or is that just a, a manifestation of like sexual romantic feelings or are the sexual romantic feelings a manifestation of me wanting to like become you and, and you know consume kind of the yeah. essence of you that I want and I think it's too you know messed up to say definitively like either one of those is definitively what's going on yeah because their relationship is very complicated and like competitive in a lot of ways um and like i think yeah the obvious reading is that oh like of course like we would idolize jennifer and like follow her around and like sort of do whatever for her but we also get a sense of like how insecure jennifer is with herself um yeah like when she's talking to Nikolai she sounds like a like an idiot yeah yeah and just like um that line to Chip in the park like say I'm better than needy like there's something like even Jennifer like the most beautiful popular girl in school like feels that needy has something that like she needs to be better than um which I think is really interesting I think I think I read the film where like, I would definitely say for me that Needy has feelings for Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Um, just with like, you know, like the way that she looks at her, like particularly at the concert and the hand holding, like she waves at her during like the flag twirling, mm-hmm. all of these little moments that are leading up to the kiss. Um, that just like reads and is coded to me as attraction. But I'm not sure, like looking at this film, I don't know if Jennifer is attracted to needy in that way. Yeah, I think it's more just like, that's her her lifeline throughout the movie. Like there's some part of her, like that's just the way like the cries for help are manifesting after, you know, what happened is with that. Um, right. And, you know, she sees her as the one safe person that she can go to because it's her best friend and because she's not a man. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like I kind of read it as like, I think she knows that Needy feels this way about her and she's like using that for her own advantage and for her own sense of like comfort and security. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know that Jennifer is attracted yeah. to Needy in the same way. Um, it's complicated. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, it's interesting stuff, though, and it's stuff that, you know, you could debate for years, and people finally are now looking at the film under that lens of these things that, you know, the writers and the filmmakers have already said, like, oh, like, this is what we were thinking about when we wrote and directed this. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't think, you know, they could have foreseen that it would be such a applicable film for, you know, everything that happened with, you know, the Me Too stuff. I think it was more a broader comment on, like, okay, this is a thing. Like, you know, the sacrifice of women for the sake of men, like, can be read, you know, you know, across the board. Whether it's, you know, in media, like, women getting fridged for male characters' growth to, like you know, in real life where you have situations, you know, not necessarily at the scope of like the Harvey Weinstein stuff, but where you have things like that happen where women are forced to 
sacrifice their bodies for the, you know, the sake of men's, you know, advancement or, or pleasures or just general desires and that sort of thing. Um, but I think, you know, it's more just about, you know, the trauma of being a, a teenage woman um, and how, like, insane and complicated that is. Yeah. Yeah. And about um, sort of like the ridiculousness of um, the seriousness and the ridiculousness of like so many of those things, right? Yeah. Of like being a woman and toxic friendships and bullying and small town life and politics and attraction and love and all of these different kinds of things. Um, that get like looked at in really interesting ways, but that also like get laughed at as yeah. well. Like, cause this is a funny movie. No, it is. It's meant to be a black comedy and there are parts of it where it's like not necessarily laugh out loud funny, but it's like, okay, that was played for humor beat. Like this is ridiculous. Like I'm, I'm thinking of the moment when, um, Chip's mom gives him like the lady pepper spray. Yes. Like that's, I feel like that's a perfect like encapsulation of this movie's sense of humor. Yes. Uh. <laughs> <clears throat> also, if um, you want to throw back to you know your times in high school, this soundtrack is like. Yeah, this is like it's like Panic, it's Dashboard Confessional. There's All Time Low, Silver Sun Pickups, Florence and the Machine. Well, and apparently when they were casting for Nikolai, like they were trying to get like actual, um, like rock star typey people from like Pete Wentz, I think was considered, yes. you know, like, and, uh, I think one of the Madden brothers was too. Uh, yeah. From Good Charlotte. Yeah. Um, I think that would have, I don't know if that would have like made it different or not like having an actual like recognizable like really big 2009 indie rock person in this movie I don't yeah. know I think that would have been too much between Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried who at this point were like pretty big names I feel like also throwing in there like you know a non-actor yeah. known rock star is yeah. like okay this feels a little like so and that yeah, being like, said, like, we know who Adam Brody is, but at least he's an right. actor. Right. Apparently he, like, they were like, oh, can you sing? And he was like, ish. Yeah. Um, and I think he, like, like, they tried it and he, like, wasn't good enough. So somebody else, like, in that band, like, dubbed for him. Nice. Cute is what Which... we aim for is also on the soundtrack. It's hysterical. Oh, my gosh. So yeah, if you guys are bored and need music, go listen to the Jennifer's Body soundtrack. Uh, soundtrack for Jennifer's Body, because um, it's loaded, evidently. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. There are... I feel like some things that I don't like, but that don't really have anything to do with, like, any of the themes or, like, the perception of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, like, I hate framing device yeah um, we don't need it 
that all. There's no reason to start at the asylum. Mm-hmm. You could start this movie with like them hanging out and needy, giving us a sense of like their friendship, like everything with like the cheerleading thing. And then just go into the night at the bar. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like she spends so much, so little time at the asylum and it has no effect on her whatsoever that it's kind of pointless to have it. Yeah, it's yeah, there's no reason that that's why we need to start the movie there. Also, yeah, there's why does she wait so long to escape? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she was trying to get I think the idea is that she was trying to get thrown into solitary so that she could escape. But I don't know. It'd be easier. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I guess I see that. Okay. Okay. Who knows? I'll give that. We'll give that. I'm going to give that a pass. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, Jennifer's body. Yeah, Jennifer's body. Pretty um pretty good stuff. Lots of interesting readings, a really interesting production. Um look into it, kids. Mm-hmm. Pretty well. time. Yeah, seriously. And in the meantime, when you look at it and you decide you have some thoughts, you can tweet them at us at splatterchatter six 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 minus all the vowels. If that's too difficult, you can just wow, I hit my desk. I don't know if you heard that. Um, if that's too difficult, you can uh, just search it regular or old and we will pop right up. You can email at us at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. You can tumble at us, slide into our DMs, all that good stuff at splatterchatter.tumblr.com and splatterchatter666 on Instagram. And Mr. Gardner's can tell you how you can become even more involved. If you are feeling generous, head on over to patreon.com slash splatterchatter666 where you can find out how to support our show in exchange for cool rewards. We're also gladly will take a rating and a review through Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. <clears throat> That's how um, podcasts get attention in the charts. So we would love your love that way. Additionally, uh, do keep an eye particularly on our Twitter where we have been announcing our um, – Sunday Splatter series, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, so far we've done a Netflix party for Scream 2 and Scream 3, probably do a couple more in the future, so if you're looking for a distraction, um, something chill, just hang out and talk fun horror movies with fellow fans, we'd love to have you join us. Mm -hmm. This is going to close out episode 78 on Jennifer's Body. We haven't discussed what we're doing next, so it'll be a surprise. Um, do whatever you guys need to do to keep sane out there. Um, if that involves reaching out to us, by all means, we're here. Mm-hmm. And so we'll, we'll be for the foreseeable future. <laughs> we'll be for the foreseeable future. And now we want to remind you guys to stay safe, stay socially distant, wash your hands. For now, we will say au revoir, adios.